What's happening, everybody? Really interesting day of everything that's happened today. I have a founder, Chris Tito, says Tito on my podcast, who's the founder of Hidden Later, which actually talks about security with OpenAI and how to have a security layer around not just OpenAI, but any AI models, what you have to look for, what you have to be careful of. And ironically, today, OpenAI just released their ChatGPT for Teams, which has security embedded. Crazy day, awesome episode. Look forward to having you check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Chris Tito, Sistito, who is the co-founder and CEO of Hidden Layer. Hidden Layer is really unique in terms of what Chris, or I should say, Tito, is building, where they're actually creating the security for AI category. Okay, he's got massive experience. He's done over a decade leading global threat research, intelligence, engineering, and data science teams with a focus on security products, companies like Silence, Qualys, and Agari. Tito, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Hey, thanks so much, Ryan. Happy to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, dude, I'm pumped, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to nerding out on the security aspect because it's literally the one of the biggest areas that companies have an imaginary barrier of why they can't mm-hmm. usher in this change, and to, at least in my mind, man. So I'm waiting for yeah. you either to validate my point or basically, uh, you know, <laughs> discourage it, if you will. So, so <laughs> let's go through a real quick background on you and Hidden Layer, just so everybody has some context on who you are and what stage of the journey you're at. So uh, real quick, where are you guys at in terms of your stage, uh, in terms of the stage of the journey you're at in terms of revenue? Yeah, so uh, well, the company's been around for about two years now. Where uh, we we've got uh, um, a couple dozen customers uh, on the revenue side. Um, you know, it's uh, it's hard to quote the exact revenue on a on a uh, an interview here, but uh, doing doing very well. We have some some large deals with some tech companies. With the um, we're in insurance, we're in healthcare, we're in um, uh, really uh, about ten different industries at the moment because you know this is really a pervasive problem for for everyone just like cybersecurity or just like traditional cybersecurity i should say uh so it's um you know it's uh for we're 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 moving along uh, quite well okay awesome man so you're like early stage i think are you bootstrapped or funded uh, we are funded we uh we just raised a series a um we raised 50 million dollars about uh, five months ago with uh um, more strategic capital microsoft uh, ibm uh, Capital One, uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, and Ten Eleven Ventures. So we uh, we have a, a really strong uh, group. Okay, of wow. Advisors. So you got some some of the big boys in terms of uh, mm-hmm. or big girls as well. Uh, what's your yeah. primary go to market strategy in terms of revenue growth? Uh, we have several actually. I mean, we uh, we we go through the channel, but we also have a good amount of direct sale here as well. So it's it's a brand new category. So oftentimes it's um, you know it's an education driven sale, and and so we have. Uh, um, you know, a fantastic uh, chief revenue officer in Abigail Maines, uh, who is uh, kind of a specialist on the channel side, but she also is phenomenal in these uh, direct sales as well. We have uh, an awesome VP of sales in Sean Quinn. Um, and uh, and so, the, you know, that group with a, with a really, really strong team is looking at both kind of going through different uh, technical and and uh, and resale channel partners, as well as um, just the direct sale to, to a lot of the, uh, you know, awesome okay. organizations that are really concerned with that, uh, um, you know, as you mentioned. Yeah, I imagine there's a lot of opportunity there, <clears throat> especially on the bigger company side because they're leading a lot of this adoption. So, how big is mm-hmm. the team actually in in terms of employees? 
Yeah, we're about 80 now, um, which is which is great, uh, especially for a company that really only we founded back in uh, March of 22. So we, we grow uh, pretty heavily where there's a lot of research and development at the team just because it's a you know, kind of a brand new uh, approach to uh, to, a you know, relatively cutting edge technology. And so uh, but on the go to market side, there's about 15 now. OK, so you 80 total, 15 on the GTM side. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> love that. And then can you walk us through exactly what the solution is and who it serves and I don't know, two, three sentences or less? <clears throat> That's going to be tough, but I'll, I'll try. Yeah, <laughs> we're, a, uh, maybe, we're a platform. Maybe one or two minutes. Just like, yeah, there I, I got to put sounds, the guardrails down because like otherwise founders will talk about their product for <laughs> like two hours. So. No, so no, ahead. for sure. Yeah, no, we can, we, we'll keep it, we'll keep it realistic or we'll keep it, uh, uh, tangible here for, or for the, or I should say a digestible here for the group. But, um, yeah, we are a full platform solution for security for artificial intelligence. So we protect artificial intelligence in all of its forms, whether it's, uh, models that you're hosting internally models, you're bringing in from open source or from, you know, repositories like hugging face or TensorFlow hub, or whether it's LLMs, uh, whether, and then, um, you know, we, we secure them at a code level, we secure them at a behavioral level and, and we secure them, uh, through API transactions, if you're working with a hosted model, and then we also identify them for you. So full platform solution to secure your artificial intelligence. Okay. I love that, man. And what platforms do you work across? Like what different models are there limitations? Any, you would love to just kind of hear that. And like, what's the core yeah. ones that you're focused on? So one of the really cool things about what we do is, uh, we really took, a lot of existing traditional, like, and, and I would say endpoint cyber technology and really kind of form fit it for artificial intelligence specifically. And that means that when we're working with models, we're, we're mostly working in the vectors. And, and what I mean when I say that is we're looking at like the math at the input layer and the scoring on the output layer. Um, and the cool thing about that is it's universal. Um, so that allows us to work in any model framework uh, any model size. Uh, we're not worried about how the model was built or what language it was built in. It can be a simple linear model. It can be a neural network. It can be an LLM uh, and our technology works. And so, um, you know, we, we take advantage of that and we really work with groups that are, you know, some are hosted models internally. Some are using really, you know, uh, robust MLOps pipelines and we can work in all of those scenarios. And so um, whether you're on-prem, whether you want to use our SaaS solution, we have a, a ton of opportunity. Okay. What 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 size of that organizations do you usually work with? Are are you working with Fortune five hundred, Fortune one thousand, more mid market, small? What's kind of your, uh, your focus? Mostly enterprise uh, today. Actually, all enterprise solutions at the moment. We there's no reason we couldn't uh, kind of uh, work with a with like a mid market or, or um, you know like SMB type solution. But uh, but we're we're uh, we're selling to and we're catering to enterprise organizations. Um, we have. Uh, you know, some Fortune 10 financial institutions. We have some uh, very, very large leaders in the AI space as well. And so it's uh, it's almost all enterprise. Okay. And so <clears throat> what what are you seeing on the corporate side then, like on the enterprise side as like the, I'm not trying to put you in bad, you know, it, I'm not trying to paint you in a corner here, but I'm like, what are you sure. saying? Like the the widest adoption or the strongest adoption in terms of the models that, some of these enterprise organizations are using? Is it ChatGPT? Is it <clears throat> AWS with Claude, you know, embedded in it? What, mm-hmm. Like, where are you kind of seeing it? Or is it more open source, like kind of what Bloomberg did where they're creating their own model? Right. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple ways I can I can kind of slice that for you. And I would say <clears throat> what we see, the, the majority was out there, even though like I would say, you know, 90% of the hype is on the LLM side. 90% of the true deployment and usage is actually still like hosted models inside the organization. Um, but most of them are brought in from some kind of pre-trained state. So like, you know, they'll go to Hug and Face, they'll download a vision model or or something like that and then train it up to their specific use case. 
Um, and then when we're talking about like production systems, that's still for the most part what's out there. Um, there are some examples of LLMs that have been trained inside an organization that have been put into a production system. Um, there's still a little bit of a gap that needs to be closed before I think, or, um, you know, uh, the majority of organizations are going to be willing to to work with like a hosted model on, um, you know, by one of these providers. But that w- one of the ways to close that gap is with companies like us, where we can, you know, ensure the safety, ensure um, <clears throat> the, uh, you know, the reliability of those solutions. And so, um, but yeah, I would say the majority of what we see out there is not, you know, leveraging like an LLM via an open AI or via an API. Uh, we're, we're seeing it um, more from like uh, internally hosted and, and further trained models uh, with the organizations that we're working with. But I, I know that uh, most organizations aspire to grow that into uh, also including things like uh, API uh, transactions with models that they can just build directly into their uh, solutions. Okay. So you got me curious now. <clears throat> and and what I'm trying to figure out is like, if, if you had to identify it, what is the largest gap right now with companies using or connecting with the API model with something like, you know, OpenAI or mm-hmm. one of these other large language models that's out there? What's the security gap? So there's an enormous security gap. I, I think that one of the things that I, I really feel is important to share with everybody that, uh, you know, that is uh, that, I, that I can is. Uh, really how incredibly vulnerable models are and, and artificial intelligence is uh, at a at a found uh, at a fundamental level. I think, um, you know, it, it's it's vulnerable at a code level. I think when you look at think about like a Microsoft file, um, we do a lot with that. We sign them. Uh, we have very strict permissions of where you can read, write and execute. We have uh, areas of which we declare what libraries we're importing. We have security information. We have version information. None of that exists in models today. Um, and what that creates is a bunch of code that we're exchanging with each other with no rules. Uh, and that's really uh, creating an awesome opportunity for for threat actors uh, to, if you're if from their perspective, a terrible opportunity to, uh, issue for us. But that's uh, essentially, um, you know, they're perfect vehicles for malware. Uh, we have found thousands of examples of models that have been loaded with malware where we've malware hiding in weights of models. Uh, we found them on uh, all these open source sites uh, where we're seeing these um, transactions where anybody can upload whatever they want. And so immediately we tell organizations, you know, you need to scan what you're bringing into your organization. There's been some back doors. There's been a ton of examples there. Our research team alone has found a thousand on Hugging Face. And so um, wow. when, you, when you look at uh, really, um, it, it's a really nice package for, 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 uh, from the perspective of the threat actor now to distribute their malware. Uh, and so that's just the code level. It's also very vulnerable at inference time. It's, it's vulnerable when a model's been pu- like posted or published onto a data pipeline or a hardware or software product. Um, really all you have to do is interact with that model before ultimately you have training data of your own to replicate it to, in what we refer to as a surrogate attack. Um, so when you think about models in like fraud systems or models in, you know, algorithmic trading or models that can be interacted with in recommendation engines or uh, things like targeted advertising, I mean, really it spans every industry. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that creates a scenario where these published models can be hacked, they can be stolen, they can be poisoned. Um, you know, there's a, there's all sorts of opportunities there. And then on the LLM side, um, there's uh, obviously we're seeing some some problems there with uh, influencing these models to try and force hallucinations. We're seeing stolen models. I mean, just uh, the other day, OpenAI had to start cutting off some accounts because they realized that those accounts were trying to steal GPT. And so, um, you know, that that's exactly the type of stuff that we identify. Okay. Was that the ByteDance, um, the that's TikTok right. ByteDance? Is that what you're referring yeah, that, to? That, that? That's probably the, the biggest example, but there have been others. Okay, where they're basically just trying to leverage it to train their own model and, and create that. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, if you, I mean, think about it. If you have the inputs to the model and you have the outputs to the model, you, you basically have the training set and the labels. 
and so, I mean, if you have uh, unlimited access to a model, um, then, you know, that's, that's really all it takes to be able to steal that model. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter. Check out other free content resources I have there. And let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So what's what's the solution you mentioned having like a, a platform, right? So that you could mm-hmm. is it like with a with the kind of what you're doing in AI for security platform or security mm-hmm. for AI platform, right? Yeah. Like what what would that enable you to do with the the large language models and then the open source models if you're a company trying to deploy this internally, right? Let's say you're yeah. let's say you're not an enterprise, so you're not a, a, you know a Fortune 10 Fortune 1000, you're more of a mid-market or or small company. Like what would be the way that you would approach it in terms of making sure it was secure and and, um, how would you kind of handle it? Yeah, I mean, this solution is is really for every user of artificial intelligence in, in all of its forms. And so, um, you know, the the enterprise focus really comes more from like they have large data science teams. They had they hold themselves to really, you know, uh, generally like heavier regulations and, and and that kind of thing. But but this this works really across the board. And uh, essentially the way the way the solution works is every one of those sort of vulnerabilities I just mentioned is covered with a, a solution inside of the uh, inside of the actual um, platform itself. And so we have uh, one of the cool ways I like to describe it, too, is. Everything that we do has a direct uh, um, correlation to what happens in other traditional cyber uh, solutions. So, like, for example, we have um, our model scanner. You can think of this as antivirus for models. Um, You know, as I mentioned, a lot of malware being hidden in models. uh, It's one of the biggest challenges there is that, you know, current uh, endpoint security solutions, they don't even parse models. So uh, they're not going to find anything in there. Um, so we we created a solution that would. So it, what that means for any organization, um, small, medium business, mid market, all the way up through enterprise, is you need to scan scan these pre-trained models before you take it into your organization. And 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 by the way, that's how more than ninety percent of your data scientists build those models. Um, they they you know they don't start from scratch. They bring in a model that understands uh, you know the majority of what they're trying to do, and then they further train it for that use case. And so if they happen to grab the wrong model, that can create a serious uh, security incident. Um, and so we we uh, we use that scanner to to ensure everything is safe at that point. But then also you can scan in perpetuity. You can ensure that anytime that you're leveraging a model, that nothing's happened to it while it was inside your organization. No, there's no insider threat scenario there. There's no um, issue where you know maybe this was part two of a traditional cyber attack where a threat actor got in and then found a model and said this would be a perfect place for me to to pivot off of or, or to create persistence from. Um, we've seen that as well. <clears throat> Pardon me. So, so I think that that's uh, that's kind of step number one is at the code level and ensuring that that uh, is uh, is secured, and that's that's kind of how we we start with organizations. Uh, step two is securing models that are are plugged in, that are uh, that are in these pipelines that are being leveraged either by internal or external stakeholders. And so, um, you know, this this is all over the place. We see we call it AI at the edge, and that's models that your users or the public are intended to interact with. Um, and so that can be, you know, driving a car that can be, um, you know, surfing the web and seeing what ads you get served. That can be, um, you know, seeing if your transaction gets marked for fraud. There, there are many, many machine learning models and, and AI models that are 
um, that are used in, in, in these sort of production environments. And so uh, what that creates is a scenario where threat actors have just as much access to that model as that individual that you want to interact with. And so we, we created another part of our platform that we call MLDR, Machine Learning Detection and Response. Uh, again, you can think of it as a direct evolution from endpoint detection and response. And that essentially allows us to look at behaviors, look at those who are using your model and answer the question, how, why are they using it? How are they using it? Um, are they using it as intended like everybody else is or are they abusing it? Are they trying to steal it? Are they, um, you know, pulling some of what we saw with uh, with that, um, you know, that open AILM scenario with uh, uh, by dance? And so we, we can identify exactly that. And uh, <clears throat> then lastly, um, if you're leveraging an LM through, through a um, through an API, uh, we can then shape our solution to that. And we have what we call safe LM proxy, which allows us to perform all of those same security mechanisms, but on that uh, that API relationship. And so we can ensure that there's no prompt abuse, there's no indirect prompt uh, um, abuse, there's no um, stealing of data and data exfiltrating through the response of the solution. We can uh, we can kind of wrap all that up. So we really uh, you know created a one-stop shop on the security for AI uh, side for any organization that really wants to be uh, you know, just as safe with their AI as they are with every other technological asset. And that, that's exactly what we advocate for. We say, you know, we should be holding our artificial intelligence pipelines to the same standards that we hold others, you know, no, no more, no less, really, just because, um, you know, it's uh, it, it, we've created a scenario now where we have very, very quickly deployed and adopted artificial intelligence uh, really without um, all the infrastructure to support it. OK, excellent, man. <clears throat> so I think that's uh, that's a really great explanation of just kind of like the three areas, right? The, the pre-scan. <clears throat> Uh, and the monitoring, right? Like how you interact with it and then, mm-hmm. you know, the prompting side of it and the API interaction. So <clears throat> I think it's it's a very simple and succinct way to, to describe it. What, like, I appreciate that. You, you mentioned multiple times where you're saying organizations typically will leverage a pre-trained model and then bring it into the mm-hmm. organization. And then it sounds like almost train it again, right? Or update the training with their, their specifics. Okay. What pre-trained models are, are you seeing mostly used in, in those situations? Yeah, so there are many, and and I think that you know I'll give an example too because it might help articulate that that use case. So, for example, if I if I wanted to build like a <clears throat> like an image model to do like facial recognition, I wouldn't start from scratch. I, I would start with a model that understood things like uh, images and understood shapes and colors and something that's that's pretty generic. I could pull that in. There are dozens of examples of that even on Hugging Face today. Uh, and then um, then I would take that and I would train it further on my images and whether that's like images from a camera to recognize somebody or images for, you know, a check to see how much it's worth when I'm depositing checks or something along those lines. Uh, th- those are all being built off of those kind of um, uh, those models that are available uh, online. And so the the types that we're seeing, I mean, we're seeing a bunch. I mean, if you go on even just Hugging Face is the most common, you, you can see um, models that have uh, millions of downloads. Um, and so there are, um, I think at this point, there's, they're getting close to, um, you know, there's probably, there's hundreds of thousands of models. There may even be more than that today. Um, and, uh, and they have millions of downloads. And so you can start to see from the threat actor's perspective why that's attractive. Um, so, you know, if I put a model up there and I say, hey, this is a, a ResNet model, but I've trained it more for things like recognizing landscapes. And then, you know, someone says, oh, I need that for my business. And they go grab it. And, you know, turns out it has a back door in it or something along those lines. Um, you know, without our solution, um, there really isn't a way to understand that that's happening. And so, uh, you know, I want to make sure everyone understands that their current cybersecurity stack is not even parsing models. It's like trying to point a Windows product at a Mac file. It's not going to happen. So um, you have to you have to build a solution that can that can understand what's in there and identify where there's code where it doesn't belong or where there's uh, malicious code and, and, and call that out. OK, 
And so you're saying mostly the open source models is what they're doing. They're taking those, you know, is it something like Mistral, uh, like out of France are, are a lot of organizations using that. Mm-hmm. I know that's newer, so maybe that's a bad example. Yeah, but. no, Mistral is hosted on, on Hugging Face. Yeah, there's, there's, there's tons of examples of, of models like that where we can, you know, you can see kind of like a lot of the, the open source side. Um, but, it, you know, our, our security solution isn't limited to open source. I just see quite a bit of that. Um, but what, what I can say is that most organizations are training their own models for their own use cases. Uh, they're just starting from a very generic um, model that's, that's kind of being exchanged right now freely and then building up from there. Okay. So where do you see most companies are getting <clears throat> it wrong when it comes to AI use in their organization? Let's talk about, mm-hmm. let, let's talk about it with their, their team, their people. Like where are most companies getting this wrong? It's a really good question. And I think I can answer it in a couple ways. I think the, the first way I would answer is the one that, that obviously we're most concerned with at, at Hidden Layer, which is the, the infrastructure to support it. I think um, the, the, the clearest way I can say this is you should be holding artificial intelligence to the same standards that you hold all of the other technological components within your organization. So um, just like you wouldn't accept a big chunk of, uh, of Python code and plug it in without scanning it first and understanding what it is and, and, and understanding where it came from, uh, same rules apply. So, so I would say, um, you know, hold uh, artificial intelligence technology to that same level. I think one of my major concerns aligned with that is that you know almost everybody is building their are building their models and building their <laughs> solutions out of these open source libraries. Um, and so, you know, like for example, when we find vulnerabilities and we bring them back to the creators of these open source libraries, they say just that, hey, these are open source libraries. We don't know why they're being used in production systems, but the reality is that's the the vast majority of what's happening. So I think my my first answer to your question in terms of uh, what what are they you know really getting wrong um, is uh, and not everybody of course but many organizations they're they're really not um, holding it to the same level of scrutiny that they would other technological assets uh, or artifacts in their organization. Uh, the the second way that I, w- I would answer that question is uh, I think <clears throat> it's not a uh, magic bullet. It's not something you can just turn on and it works. Uh, you, you really have to um, you know it, it's as good as the data that's being used to train in it. It's as good as uh, you know, the folks who are uh, deploying it and, and and the standards that you're holding it to. So um, it, it it's not just, you're not just going to download a foundational model um, and then say, go, and it's going to be amazing. It's something that you're going to have to, you know, really form fit for your solution. You're going to have to grow it and and, and it's going to have to be, um, you know, really intelligent to the the problem space that you're at, you're needing it to operate in. I think we see some organizations that are like, all right, I, I, I you know, I've got GPT-4 in here. I wrapped it and I'm ready to roll. And uh, and really, that's not going to work. That's uh, that's going to be far less than the median human trying to uh, to perform that job, which is, uh, you know, I, I assume the goal for most of these organizations that are that are trying to leverage uh, uh, AI. And and do you think that goes down to like like they un- they don't understand how to prompt it? They don't understand how to fine tune it. Like, where do you see the most errors? Like in terms of effective utilization of let you know let's we're talking open source models so let's just stick with open source right yeah. now sure, sure. like yeah what do you so what do you see there at least from a usage perspective yeah i just think that there's not a i mean i think well and i think it's proven that we've had a a, a lack of professionals in this space and we've had a shortage of professionals in the data science space uh, just like we have <laughs> in cyber uh for for a few years now and and now you know it's there's just this enormous proliferation and, and enormous demand of these models to be deployed um, and that didn't make everybody an ML expert overnight. Um, and so I think, don't get me wrong, the right answer is to try. The right answer is to is to learn and engage and and, and deploy and, and see what comes out of this. But, you know, you need to do that in, in staging environments. You need to do to understand exactly what you're deploying. Uh, and then ultimately you can you can move forward with that. But I, I think that that's an area where, um, you know, it's, it's not 
it, these models are getting really easy to use. It's getting really easy to create models. I mean, and you should embrace that and, and, and we should take advantage of it, but it's not something that it's not like an out of the box solution where it works. Um, you know, you th- I think, you know, organizations need to go through that research and development uh, workflow with these new tools, understand what they're deploying. Uh, and then we are going to be able to predict what's going to come out the other side. And I think that that's something that, um, so, you know, if your board is asking you to race towards having AI in your solution, it's hard to do that. But uh, if you're understanding that it is a tool like any other and you want to, um, you know, understand it fully and, and and use it correctly, then it can be incredibly powerful. And I, I agree with you, right? There's there's a, a good way to use it and a wrong way to use it, um, <laughs> which is funny because I've fallen victim to that too. Like, it, and I'm very careful about what I put in there, but I put in some data on, on the data analysis tool for chat gpt and um mm-hmm. first first few times i used it I, I wasn't really impressed with it uh but mm-hmm. the interesting thing was like i've learned like like for example normal prompting for chat gpt uh you have to be pretty detailed to yeah. to really get where you want what i've noted with da- noticed with data analysis it has to be more simple and very mm-hmm. short um bard used to be that way with google I think with the Gemini launch, it's getting a lot better, you know, just from what I've seen in terms of testing it. Um, So I I assume your solution, if if someone is bringing new AI tools in or you're bringing new AI tools in, you -hmm. could have all those tested through your platform in advance to make sure that it checks all the boxes from a security perspective. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And that's exactly what we want to do. And and we've tried to make it as efficient as possible as well. So, So most models we're scanning in less than a second. I mean, okay. we'll understand very quickly um, and you, you can make it part of your CICD pipeline as well um, so that, you know, if anything uh, comes back uh, in a, that's unsafe, we can automatically block it. Um, there, there's a lot we can do there. But, I, but yeah, we, we want to make it uh, very safe, very easy and effective to use. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we've accomplished that for sure. So I think it's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's just like other security tools that, that a lot of the folks listening have gotten very used to using. Um, it's just form fit for artificial intelligence. Okay. Totally makes sense. All right. Now, if we take it one step further, like, mm-hmm. I guess, let, let's talk about agents. Um, how does that increase the complexity of, let's say, and I know this is open source on GitHub, but uh, something like AutoGPT, right, where it basically mm-hmm. has like a functional group of AI agents that are, you know, completing tasks as, and working together in unison with checks and balances. Uh, mm-hmm. Does that exponentially accelerate the complexity of security or is it, you know, pretty much the same thing, just multiplied across the number of agents? Yeah, I, w- I would say more the latter. I, I think that, you know, for, for example, with our technology, we just need to exist where the model exists, uh, except for our LLM proxy that then we just we can look at the, that API traffic. But uh, but I think that, um, you know, we, we see organizations that are at this point uh, leveraging AI through so many different um, sort of uh, uh, architectural uh, examples, whether it's hosted and, and uh, whether it's like SaaS stuff, whether they're um, building an actual, you know, building the model code into the product itself. There, there's a lot of examples there. I, I don't necessarily think it makes the uh, security any tougher from a um, from an, like a uh, like a research level or, or the solution that you have to develop. It just means that you have to have a version of your product that works in those architectures, which we've we've created several. Um, so, I mean, that like we have a SaaS solution, we have an on-premises solution, we have the containerized version of what we can deploy and. And so that's that allows us to account for all of those scenarios because uh, there there aren't really that many uh, examples of or I wouldn't say that many strong patterns. There's a lot of different ways in which organizations have deployed uh, AI, and so we you know we want to be able to to fit that. But I, I wouldn't say it increases the complexity other than the complexity of the actual architecture itself. 
I mean, okay. it sort of increases the diversity of what's out there. Uh, but, um, but, you know, in terms of the actual technology that we have, kind of the, um, what we call our detection mechanisms, the actual uh, way in which we identify and delineate good traffic between bad traffic, uh, that's not any harder. Okay. So let me ask you this, based on everything you've seen with all your clients, right? Wh- mm-hmm. What do you think are the top three best use cases that that you're impressed with or are blown away with in terms of the way that companies are using AI and, you know, would love to hear any kind of results you're seeing along the way, right? Like, you know, yeah. it's doing this, uh, this company, you don't have to say the company, obviously, but sure. this type of company is doing this, right? And these are the results. Mm-hmm. We'd just love to hear some examples from your perspective. Yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, there's um, things that I've been so impressed with. Uh, and and uh, actually the, the first uh, way that I'll answer that question is just the breadth of of the the use cases out there. I mean, we've worked with, for example, one oil and gas company um, that we work with has over a thousand models with a thousand different use cases, different data types, wow. um, all in production today. And it's amazing. They're using models for like geological things and they're also using models for their HR. I mean, it's it's just a, they're they're really embracing the technology and they're really getting quite a bit out of it. And so I, I would say not any one of those. I mean, they're all many of them are very, very impressive, but 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 actually more of just the fact that they've been able to leverage AI across so many different uh, use cases and like every employee at the company and every customer at the company is gaining the benefits of AI, um, which I think is amazing. And I would love to see more companies aspire to be like that, um, you know, because there's so I mean, it can predict things like, you know, what customers are, are needing more attention, what employees might be up for a raise or, or looking to quit. I mean, it, it can do so many different things for you, uh, you know, in a, in a data rich environment that that's very cool to see. Um, I've also been really impressed with a lot of the financial institutions applications of uh, of AI. I mean, you know, which is um, probably not surprising to many who are familiar with that space. There's been um, <clears throat> they've been some of the earliest adopters uh, on that side. So, so it's really cool to th- see things like market predictions, to see things like, um, you know, how you can, uh, you know, look to, uh, you know, gain the most value out of a scenario and, and just just also ways to make decisions even faster. I think that that's something that they do very, very well. And then um, lastly, I'll say on the healthcare side, um, we've seen some really, really cool applications of AI for things like uh, more accurate predictions of drug interactions, more accurate predictions of, of uh, um, drug effects against populations. I mean, I think that, you know, nothing's perfect, but I think that there's been some really, really major steps forward there in the last couple of years uh, that helps account for, especially scenarios in which we don't have a lot of data. Um, like when we see like, you know, hey, we want to, you know, deal with something that one in a million people in the population has, you, you probably don't have that many, um, you know, data points to work on when you're, when you're creating something. So allowing something like artificial intelligence to, uh, to help you um, be way more accurate in those scenarios is really cool. And so I would say that, but, but I, w- I, w- um, I think more generally um, the thing that's impressed me the most is, is just how many different applications there are. Um, every time we talk to a customer, we find a new one. And so, um, you know, the, the, the world is getting really creative with, uh, with AI applications in terms of how to gain value out of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it felt like something that was a buzzword, you know, five or 10 years ago is really creating a lot of value for organizations today on the content generation side, on like in, in the generative side for code, uh, and then all the way down to just classifying and decision-making. I mean, it's just, we, we've just seen so many amazing applications and we continue to see them. It's, it's, it's without a doubt the most fun part of my job. Okay. That's, that is pretty cool. Cause uh, like I get blown away when I see when I'm working on it and then I uncover one and then it leads to another, that it leads to another. Right. So like, oh, yeah. <clears throat> it's pretty exciting. It's almost like, for me, it's almost like a video game, right. Where you just, there's different totally. levels and you just keep figuring out and unlocking different things. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
which is funny because I kind of internalized that the other day. So let me ask you this. What are your top three favorite use cases for growing revenue, whether it be sales or marketing or partnerships? Like what are the top three use cases that you love and, and mm. think are amazing on, on that side? Yeah, I mean, I think um, like the fraud space is uh, is a, is a big one um, when we think about just sort of like business traction. Um, it, there's you know there's really only a model in between a threat actor and cash when you when you look at like a fraud model or a model that's being used to detect fraud. And we work on several of these uh, where where you look at someone like you know if a, if a threat actor can steal this model or learn how this model works, they can create as many successful fraudulent transactions as they want. Um, there really becomes uh, a lot of desire on the on the institutional side to to build some sort of uh, um, scenario there, and that and that come that can be like straight up financial credit card fraud, or that can kind of start to grow into things like um, account takeovers and whether or not um, you know the person, the entity, whatever it happens to be, whether it's an account or uh, or um, a device or something, is it the entity that it's purporting to be? I mean, there there's a lot of application there that just is directly tied to a revenue to the revenue of an organization or or um, and and so that you know that it just, it just creates a lot of need to move fast and and I think that's really interesting because um, the threat actors are moving very fast they're looking for yeah. uh, for everything they can go, they can do there. Um, I'll also say that um, you know we see a lot uh, in things like uh, the reputation of an organization. Um, there's uh, an enormous sort of um, you know threat there when it comes to someone using artificial intelligence to misrepresent uh, what's going on there on the generative side. I think that that's um, a, a major issue for a lot of organizations today. And then, um, you know, I think, uh, third would be, um, and I think this is something that is, um, going to be a major issue for, for, for everyone on that side is that it's getting really easy to attack these models now. I mean, there are a lot of, uh, automated adversarial machine learning attack tools, even on like GitHub. Uh, and so, um, what that means is, um, that a lot of those are now starting to have versions that are, uh, hitting some of these stronger use cases. So there's there's versions for fraud model attacks. There's versions for you know financial model attacks. And 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 so I think that um, uh, what that uh, means to us is like you know one one of the first things we do is even just let you know, hey, somebody's interacting with your model with a known attack framework. I think that's that's really important to call out. Um, but uh, but it's going to create that exact same cat and mouse game that we have in traditional cyber, uh, where we have you know um, threat actors trying to do something new, defenders trying to. Uh, advance to stop it. And, and we're starting to see that now as well. So, so I think to, to answer your question, I would say um, the more common the use case is, the more likely it is to see those, those sort of automated attacks. And that's something that we focus quite heavily on. Okay. Last but not least, uh, what is the single biggest challenge you have in growing your company right now? It's a great question. And uh, it's a, it's an easy answer. Um, there, there, it's just, it's the talent that's out there. We, we have some amazing talented folks at the company um, but when you're talking about like adversarial ML specialists, you're not talking about tens of thousands of people out there. You're talking about a relatively small group. Um, and then, you know, so then we're competing with groups like OpenAI. We're competing with groups like, you know, Anthropic, uh, Meta, Amazon, uh, you know, Google, all, all of the others who, who are, are paying a pretty penny. So when you're a startup like us, um, you know, it's uh, um, you have to be pretty aggressive. And um, and it's uh, and so but I, I would just say there's a, just an enormous shortage of adversarial machine learning talent out there. Um, so we're doing a lot with what we've got. I think we're, we're, um, you know, we're really, uh, doing quite a bit there, but that, that's the hardest part of scaling. Well, what about on the go to market side? So that's talent. Mm -hmm. Like what about on the sales and marketing side specifically? we I feel very strong there. I think we're, we're in really good shape. I think there's, um, you know, we, we have, um, really, really great leader. I mentioned her earlier, but our, our chief revenue officer, Abigail Maines has, has really set us up for success there. And I think one of the things that I like the most about that right now is that we're kind of going, 
uh, a little quality over quantity, if you will. I, I think yeah. that we um, we have a really really strong team that understands that this is an educationally driven sale. That understands that um, you know it's a cutting edge technology that's changing quite a bit, and it requires a lot of preparation and a lot of empathy and understanding what's going on on the on the seller side, on the buyer side. I mean, and um, and so I think we're we're in really great shape there. I mean, there's you know we're still. Um, you know, at, at the stage we're at, I think we're, we're doing phenomenally and, you know, we're, we're going to have to continue to scale and maybe more problems will pop up as we go more, you know, naturally, but, uh, but generally speaking, I think things are, are, are great there. And so I would say, um, you know, if I were to try and highlight, you know, the biggest problem, uh, on that side, I think, um, it's, it's becoming less and less of a problem every day, but it was sort of the general awareness for a while of, of kind right. of, you know, the, uh, the just sort of, you know, oh, I have to protect my AI too. And, and so, it seems so obvious to groups when we explain it to them, but beforehand it's sort of just making them aware. And so I think that that's um, an issue, but, but again, that's, that's becoming more and more of an obvious thing for, for organizations today with all that's going on in the world. So, um, but, uh, but, you know, certainly a year ago. Okay. So that makes sense, ma'am. So we are up on time. Unfortunately, Tito, where can people find you? Where can they find more about hidden layer? And then we'll wrap things up. And just hiddenlayer.com. You'll, you'll see everything there. You can reach out to us if you'd like to speak with any of our team or, you know, even have us come out and assess the AI uh, scenario that you've got there and, and what those solutions would look like. Or if you just want to try that scanner or any part of that platform out right away, just hit layer.com. We can do it all for you. Thank you so much, Ryan. Yeah, it was awesome having you on. I love the uh, the succinctness, you know, being that you're on the security side. I've had some security guys that, that like to ramble a little bit. You're straight to the point, <laughs> which is my I love language that. when it comes to communication, man. So you can go. tell you definitely know what, you talk, what you're talking about. I've, I'm Thanks. deep in this space on a different side of you. And I see mm-hmm. such a massive need for companies to embrace this. So mm-hmm. check out it. what Tito's doing over at Hidden Layer. Check out what, what their organization's doing. Some stuff we did not share on the show. Very connected to some major, major players in this space that, that you'll want to understand as well because it just validates exactly what he's doing and where the company's going. So thanks for being on, Tito. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining me as well. And I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.